Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day, and we hope you're having a good day. Plenty to talk about on our program today. We'll have the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. We'll talk with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langemeyer with those numbers. We're going to take a look at the ag economy. We start off with these hot markets in 2021. What's ahead? We'll talk with John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. And we'll talk markets today with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. So all that coming up on today's program. Again, glad that you are with us. Let's kick things off with a look at the news, Todd Neely with DTN is with us. Todd, hope you had a good holiday season. And um, I told you I wouldn't just talk Buckeyes today. I, I do <laughs> want to thank you and all your, all of you in Nebraska Cornhuskers Nation for pushing to get a Big Ten season, which helped get the, the Buckeyes you know, able to get to the uh, championship game coming up Monday night. So thank you for that. So I, I won't say any more. I'll just uh, I'll resist the temptation, but uh, did want to thank you. All right, you have been yeah. um, covering some stories. You're kind of like been a legal reporter here lately. I always call these segments "Ag yeah, in the Courtroom," yeah. and it's amazing how many ag stories are in the legal process right now. Let's take a look at some of them. We'll start off with a big class action lawsuit filed by uh, the attorneys in the Missouri River Basin flooding case. Uh, bring us up to date on that one. Yeah. Well, yeah, Mike, uh, you know, at the end of December, we had a ruling come out of the federal claims court uh, dating back to, I think, about 2012. This case was filed on behalf of a number of farmers in the basin who had been uh, victims of repeated flooding. Um, you know, it, it came down to three cases that they decided on. These are bellwether cases. In other words, these were representative of uh, a lot of other farmers uh, in the basin. Uh, that federal court ruled in favor of those farmers, and basically that ruling opened up the door for future class action lawsuits. And in that ruling, uh, the judge basically said the Corps of Engineers had made changes to their master manual, and those changes had been uh, one, of the, one of the reasons we've seen so much flooding in the basin uh, in the past decade. And so now we're kind of moving on to the next stage of this. There's a new class action lawsuit filed in that same court, um, and it's opening the door for a number of farmers in about a 240-mile stretch of the river uh, from northeast Nebraska down into Kansas. Uh, we could have hundreds of farmers involved in this class action. The initial lawsuit named 60 farmers, uh, but it definitely is going to open the door uh, considering that that court ruled uh, that the Corps of Engineers was uh, indeed uh, to blame for what happened uh, in the basin. So we'll watch that one. That's a big one for sure. Now, we had another court case halting EPA's rule on pesticide application exclusion zones. Tell us about that one. Uh, yeah, you know, there was a district court in the Southern District of New York where uh, environmental groups had filed a lawsuit trying to stop EPA from implementing that new rule. Uh, if you recall, EPA put out a new rule uh, that basically drew back a little bit on the previous administration when it came to these uh, exclusion zones, basically this law or this rule is designed to protect farm workers uh, from exposure to pesticides during applications. Um, and what we're seeing now is some is some action to kind of draw back on that rule and try to 
work toward a more stricter application. And so uh, we kind of expected this might happen, uh, you know, and it's really hard to say where it's going to go considering that uh, depending on what happens here in the next week or two uh, with, with the presidential situation, perhaps the Biden administration uh, would be willing and, and able in the EPA to, to kind of draw back to that 2015 uh, and beyond rule. And so I think, um, you know, it's an interesting, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fronts when it comes to EPA right now and, and wondering what's going to happen uh, within this next administration. And this is just one of those. Yeah. Lots of questions. Uh, also the public comment period on atrazine has been extended. Yeah. You know, uh, this has been going on for quite some time. You know, there's, uh, there's some ongoing draft biological evaluations being done for atrazine. And there are two other chemicals that are very similar that are part of that. Um, there's another 45 days of public comment now beyond uh, today, in fact. Today was going to be the, the actual deadline to close that public comment. And, um, you know, as we're seeing at EPA right now, it seems that the agency is moving past, uh, you know, the, the previous year and, and perhaps pushing some of these things off onto to the next administration to deal with and whether... Uh, you know, that's a great idea or not, I don't know, but there's a lot of a lot of things going on, including uh, the small refinery exemptions program uh, in the RFS that seems to be moving on uh, into the next administration. Yeah, when the new EPA administrator sits down at his desk, he's going to have a big stack yeah. of uh, cases in front of him, a lot of things to do that have been left over, that's for sure. Another one, uh, back Absolutely. to the courts, an injunction granted by a court on the H-2A worker wage freeze. What can you tell us about that? Uh, well, yeah, you know, this, Mike, this was put out as a, as a, as a way to try to save, uh, to save farmer, farmers from, uh, you know, expanding and growing wage increases and cost increases that, you know, we see in the industry uh, on a number of fronts. But uh, this, this regulation basically froze wages for H the H-2A uh, worker program for 2021 and 2022, uh, you know, even the Secretary of Agriculture had come out touting this as a as a good thing for for farms. Um, there's a court in Eastern California that handed down a, 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 a basically a freeze on this, a preliminary injunction, saying that uh, this can't be done. And so the Department of Labor uh, will obviously have to respond to this. Um, and it's another one of those cases which we're just continuing to follow. Is uh, you know, we, you know, we're seeing a good start to the new year when it comes to the ag economy in many respects. And, uh, you know, a freezing of those wages definitely would have, would have helped a lot of farms, but we'll see where this goes. Well, as I said, it's ag in the courtroom. These are just some of the cases we're watching now. Who <laughs> knows what new ones will be coming as the year goes along. It seems like we have more all the time. All the time. Yeah. It's a growing, it's a growing beat. I think, uh, you know, it's a full-time job in of itself. Yeah, we may uh, create a whole new uh, category for uh, journalists here, ag legal reporters. You know, that 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 may be a whole new thing as we move forward. Well, right. It will be interesting, Todd, to, as we look at 2021. I, I mean, there's so much hope that we'll, we'll get COVID behind us, but that's still a struggle yeah. at this point. But the, mar the market rally here, that gives some hope to a better things in the ag economy. So uh, I think everyone hoping that uh, 2021 is going to be a better year than 2020. Yeah, I don't see how it can get any worse, right, Mike? I mean, we had so many, so many uh, things in the way last year. It was just, uh, it was really an unprecedented year, especially in agriculture in many ways. 
uh, we just saw so many things happening and, uh, you know, we thought 2019 was tough and then along came 2020. So yeah, we're ready to move on. All right. Good to talk with you. And I know, well, I don't know. I'm, are you going to be rooting from a Buckeyes Monday night? Yeah, I think so. You know, we hope you get there. We might You'll root Big Ten, out, right? right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right, Todd. Thanks a lot. Appreciate the update. Take care. All right. Thank you, Mike. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Yeah, lots going on in the legal front with ag cases. Coming up next, we have the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Michael Langmeyer, Purdue Ag Economist, joins us next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Steve Sinsky, Chief Executive Officer of the American Soybean Association. Well, I know that you are pleased with the passage of the COVID relief package and what it contains for agriculture. Also that, that omnibus bill. We were pleased with the agriculture-specific provisions that are included in the bill. I know that there were some more controversial things that were included in the omnibus that not everyone's in, in favor of. And you know, they get presented as a package, but certainly as part of that total package, there was that COVID relief. And so we were very pleased to see that it's going to be additional support for crop producers, soybean producers included on that, $20 an acre payments. There's funding for broadband. There's making sure that there's enough funding for vaccine distribution, prioritizing the distribution to frontline foods, food industry workers. And that's been a priority and something that ASA has been urging. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture. agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. 
A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Each month, we check in with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer to get the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. He joins us now. Michael, thank you. First time we talk here in 2021, so we're looking at the December numbers. And even though uh, we didn't have all the market rally that we've had since, uh, prices had certainly improved when you talked with the producers in December. So I'm assuming that perhaps the barometer numbers are up. Is that right? Yeah, the, the barometer increased to 174 in December, which was a higher than the November number of 167, but was, but was below the October number of a 183. And so the real story in December, however, and we did the survey uh, December 7th through December 11th, and so prices have rallied since then. And I'll talk about the impact that may have on next month's barometer. But the real story this month is, is in the two sub-indices. The index of the current conditions and index of future expectations uh, are really moving in, in different directions, or there's more divergence between those. And, and specifically, the index of current conditions reached an all-time high of 202 in December, where the index of future expectations was relatively flat in December. And so what's going on here, obviously, is because of the recent increase in prices, people are very optimistic about the outlook for the next year. And certainly with the prices that we've seen, uh, even since this, this survey was taken, uh, that there's room for optimism uh, in the next year or so, but they're a little less optimistic. They're still optimistic, but they're a little less optimistic when you look out five years. And so, and so that's the real story this month. Yeah, let's let's talk about that optimism. Optimistic enough to make some purchases. I mean, I mean, there's been this feeling there would be pent up demand if we ever saw a market turnaround. You know, they want to update machinery and things like that. Or you think this indicates we'll see that? I definitely think we'll see at least some of that, uh, there's, there's, there, but there's two different types of producers out there, and we've talked about this in the past, but it's very important to keep this in mind when we talk about uh, machinery and building per- purchases. Uh, let's start by talking about the Farm Capital Investment Index. It increased from 80 to 93, and so the fact it's below 100, there's still some people that are hesitant uh, to purchase machinery, uh, even with the higher prices, and the reason why there's still a group out there that's hesitant, in, in my mind, is we still have some people out there that have fairly low working capital, uh, fairly low uh, current ratio, for example, and I think they're going to be more. That group is going to be more hesitant uh, to purchase machinery because they need to build up that working capital. But certainly, those that have stronger working capital, and given the fact that profitability uh, was fairly strong, at least for crop producers in 2020 across most of the Corn Belt, those people are going to be looking at purchasing machinery. That's that that's definitely the case. So some cautious optimism out there, too, right? Yeah, definitely. And one of the things, things that's uh, uh, going back to that uh, difference between current conditions and future expectations, we saw that with the land values. Uh, every month we ask uh, individuals about the land values for the next 12 months and land values for the next five years. Uh, land values for the next five years, that, that percentage that thought we're going to have an increase of 65% is really similar uh, to what we've seen the last few months. And so that really hasn't budged. Uh, looking five years out, uh, but looking one year out, now there's a full a full third 
uh, they think they, they think land value is going to increase in the next 12 months. And so, uh, as we've seen before, uh, when you see those higher prices, that that tends to uh, that tends to cause an increase in, in cash rent and a subsequent increase in land values. And so, I think that's very very important to, to point out this month. We're talking with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer with the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer, a seven-point jump from between November to December. It will be interesting to see your next report because uh, this rally that is carried into this new year. Yes, it definitely will. I think the uh, index of current conditions will continue to increase, but I think the index of future expectations is probably not going to increase as much. Um, because we have several policy-related questions that are related to the next five years uh, in the December survey, and people, uh, individuals or farmers are, are, are worried about uh, inv- the increased environmental restrictions in the next five years. Uh, that was particularly evident when we surveyed people in November, December, after the election, if you will, compared to October. And so that's a concern uh, that, that's weighing on people's mind. Also, we asked about higher income taxes and higher estate taxes. An overwhelming, overwhelmingly high percentage of producers thought we'd see higher income taxes, high, higher estate taxes. Higher estate taxes is particularly problematic for farmers, of course. Uh, and, and, so, and so those kinds of things are, are, are weighing on people's minds, probably keeping that index of future expectations in check. Yeah, that's a good point. I've talked with several farmers, and they are concerned and uh, uh, kind of, you know, they just don't know what to think. They're concerned about what might be coming from a regulatory standpoint on environmental climate type issues and how it could impact their farming operations. Yeah, that's definitely the case. But also when you have a transition of administration, uh, there's always a more uncertainty. And so we'll, we'll continue to ask questions related to environmental restrictions and, and income and estate taxes the next few months to see how that plays out. Also some, there's uh, looking at your numbers here from the survey, still some concern about U.S.-China relations moving forward. Yes, and, and there was fewer people that, that thought that the, uh, that the Phase 1 agreement is going to, be, is going to turn out uh, in favor of the U.S., and, and I, I, I think that's related to the policy uncertainty related to a, 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 a change in administration. Uh, anytime you change administration, you could possibly change, uh, you know, change the way we think about trade with individual countries, uh, in a particular China, and so I, I think that's what's causing some people to think uh, think that that, that uh, we're not as likely uh, as as uh, previously thought uh, to come out on on the top uh, in, in terms of that 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 trade agreement. Will you be asking uh, different types of questions here in 2021? Uh, I know you try to bring in some new uh, topics uh, each month. Do you anticipate trying to do more of that this year? Yeah, one of the things that we're definitely going to do here in the next month or two that I always find very interesting, because this is one of my areas of research, is we're going to answer a question about farm growth. And what we typically find with that question is a huge amount of divergence between those that are thinking about staying the same and those that are rapidly expanding. And, and it'll be interesting to see if it's any different this year uh, compared to what it was uh, in the previous administration. And, and, and it, you know, given, given uh, the responses to those policy issue questions related to uh, environmental uh, regulations and, and, and higher taxes, uh, we may see a difference that we may not. And so, and so that's one question we'll definitely talk about. And, and probably coming up, I don't know exactly how we're, gonna, how we're going to uh, uh, phrase these questions, we're going to ask some questions related to carbon.
uh, you know, uh, carbon policies uh, or potential carbon policies uh, that I think uh, I think the readers might find interesting. Yeah, I think we'll be talking a lot about that this coming year. So now you can look back the entire year of 2020. Uh, it was an up and down year on the barometer, wasn't it? Just like crop, just like crop prices. I mean, if you look at uh, if you look at corn prices, they were they were 310 uh, in the summer, and, and uh, futures prices were that low. And, and and now when you look at the recent futures, they're over 450. Uh, you know, you can see a roller coaster like that in terms of prices. You're going to have a roller coaster with respect to the ag economy barometer. Uh, and and uh, in April, the index was only 96. You know, right after the COVID uh, hit, only 96. It stayed pretty low. And then as prices started to increase in the fall, uh, we got to that 183 in, in October. Uh, it's came down a little bit uh, since then, but, but that's an unbelievable change, though, going from 96 in April to 183 in October. Uh, I'm certainly hoping that 2021 is not near the roller coaster uh, that 2020 uh, was. There are a lot of factors, obviously, that influence farmers' optimism, but would, can we say that the biggest uh, influencer on their on their outlook and their optimism tends to be grain markets and what they're doing. Yeah, that's not that's not the only thing that's important, but certainly grain markets are are, are extremely important, uh, and that's all related to trade. Uh, you know, the grain prices are higher because we've seen some positive news 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 on trade, and so I think those are two of the bigger factors. Uh, you know, driving the, the current conditions, but some of these policy issues that we talked about, I think those are important when you're looking at the long term, because uh, you change the environment, uh, that, that, may, uh, uh, you know, that may dampen uh, um, sediment uh, as, you go, as you go five years down the road. It'll be interesting to track it throughout this coming year, which we will do with you. Michael Langmeyer, thank you very much. Thanks for the latest numbers. Thank you. Take care. Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer with the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. The December number is seven points higher than in November. We'll talk about some of those issues coming up with the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, John Newton. He'll be joining us next. By the way, so much talk and still speculation about U.S.-China relations in this year under a Biden administration. Tomorrow, we'll be talking with the senior vice president of the U.S.-China Business Council. Get his thoughts on that. But up next, John Newton with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. 
This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grain markets are firmer across the board, led once again by the soy complex, as bulls regain their footing following Monday's roller coaster. With higher future prices comes higher volatility. Market participants should expect more sessions like Monday. On the Board of Trade, March corn is trading seven cents higher at 4.90 and three quarters. The May contract up seven and a half cent at 4.91 and three quarters. March soybeans trading 30. Three and three quarters of a cent higher at thirteen forty six and three quarters. The May contract up thirty four and a fraction at thirteen forty five and a half cent. Chicago wheat March trading seventeen and a quarter of a cent higher at six fifty nine and a quarter. The May contract up sixteen at six fifty six and a half cent. Kansas City wheat March trading fifteen and a fraction higher at six fourteen and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat March trading eleven and a half cent higher at six ten and a half cent. Of widespread losses throughout the cattle complex on Monday created underlining concerns that continued market challenges have not yet evaporated despite the new year. Hog futures remain focused on firm fundamental support for the moment. April lean hogs are trading 12 cents higher at 73.75. The May contract up 22 at 77.97. March feeder cattle trading 5 cents lower at 135.97. The April contract unchanged at 138.05. February live cattle trading 22 cents higher at 112.52. The April contract up 42 at 116.67. In cash cattle country, asking prices are around $114 in the south and not yet established in the north. Bids remain elusive. Significant trade volume will likely be delayed until Wednesday or later. Beef cutouts are expected to be mixed with light to moderate box movement. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger... Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're joined now by John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Mike. We're all hoping for a good 2021. You know, it's interesting we look back at 2020. We're all familiar with the challenges and the issues. Uh, From an ag perspective, economy standpoint and ag market standpoint uh when you look back at 2020 what stands out to you what what were the takeaways from 2020 
Well, I think the challenges that we saw this spring was, was certainly a big takeaway. We're still dealing with the impacts of the coronavirus. When we think about uh, restaurant uh, sales are still lagging, ethanol uh, processing down 2 billion gallons uh, in 2020. Uh, so I think, you know, the, the spring and then the other half of that's the fall. You know, as exports start to pick up, the crop got smaller, we're looking at beans in the teens and, and corn's approaching $5 a bushel. So it's really a, a tale of two farm economies. And when I look at the trade aspect, we know about trade disruptions and trade wars and tariffs and all that. But overall, when you consider all the headwinds, all the challenges, uh, for the most part, it was a pretty good year on exports. Well, I think a lot of that's driven by China and the Phase 1 agreement. I mean, when you look at, at exports to Mexico, to Canada, Japan, uh, South Korea, they're down uh, year over year compared to where we were in 2019. But when you sell an extra 6 to $10 billion with agricultural products to China, that's going to make the top-line number uh, look pretty good. You know, while we were on break, the Census Bureau put out November preliminary data on phase one exports to China, uh, and they bought another $5 billion worth of agricultural products. That puts them at $22.5 billion on a year, and we still have December uh, data that, that will likely get towards the end of January, and, and we're pretty close, Mike, to setting a record for exports to China. And even those markets that were down, uh, when you consider we're dealing with a worldwide pandemic, uh, I mean, we could have... Th- we could have seen them down more than they were. We, we certainly could have. Um, and, and I think one thing that, that bodes well for us uh, moving into 2021, we, you know, for the last few months we've seen the, the trade-weighted dollar index fall. Uh, that, that makes our products much more competitive uh, overseas. Uh, and so that should help to you know, put some wind behind the sales of agricultural exports moving into next year. We're talking with John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, what are your thoughts with all the excitement of uh, this big rally that's carried over here into the first of the year? And we wait to see about next week's uh, report, which will maybe give us a better indication of where we're going with this. But uh, your thoughts on the the ag economy for 2021? Well, I think we've seen the the higher prices, uh, you know, move into the the grain complex. Uh, You know, you talk about next week's January report. Uh, some folks are talking about a two to three hundred million bushel haircut to corn ending stocks, and and you think uh, five dollars a good price now? We could be approaching five fifty. Uh, you add on top of that the the recently enacted uh, COVID nineteen response and relief bill that's going to put you know five billion dollars in the hands of crop producers in the form of direct payments, another one point four uh, in the pocket of, of cattle producers, and and then you have these food donation food box programs. Uh, that are also having an impact. So I think the farm economy, the outlook, uh, is, is much better than it was just a few weeks ago on the back of you know more ad hoc support and higher commodity prices. When, we, when you look back to where we were in the summer, no one was really predicting this big turnaround. How, how did we miss it? I mean, you can look back down and say, maybe we should have seen some things that uh, were indicated, or is this just completely, you know, out of left field, we couldn't have seen it coming? Well, you know, you couldn't have seen the crop get smaller based on USDA stocks reports. Um, you know, when you look at the pace of Chinese purchases, they started off the year uh, rather sluggishly, so, you know, no one anticipated them coming on in such a big way uh, later in the year, I don't think anybody anticipated, 
you know, the South American weather conditions to, to be as poor as they are this growing season. Uh, I don't think anybody anticipated, you know, Argentina putting a ban on corn exports. But when you look at any of those items individually, uh, Mike, you know, they're not really a surprise. You could, you know, uh, you could picture a scenario where some of these things would happen. But to put them all together the way that we've seen them come together, that's really helped to change the narrative from where we were this spring. It was a pretty bad spring. Yeah, it really turned into a perfect storm here towards the end because I remember once that phase one trade deal was signed, we kept talking about and asking, well, if they live up to those commitments and, and they haven't got, even with all their buying, didn't make it all the way to the those levels yet. But we kept saying, well, what if they do? Or if what if they get close? What would that mean for prices? And I don't think anybody even then saw this kind of a jump. But as you said, when you factor in those other things, all of a sudden our crop, which at some one point we thought might be record, turned out to be good, but not a record crop. Now problems, some problems or challenges, at least in South America, everything just started kind of fitting in. That's exactly right. But but I'll caution, Mike, that we're not out of the woods. I mean, this past week on January 2nd, uh, we had you know 300,000 new confirmed COVID-19 cases. Uh, countries around the world are issuing new lockdown orders. I believe we saw Scotland and the U.K., uh, issue lockdown orders yesterday. Restaurant demand's not back. Ethanol processing uh, is not back. You still have producers, contract livestock and poultry guys who are uh, waiting for assistance. Uh, we did see it in this most recent package, but uh, you know we we're not out of the woods yet. And the same way we could have identified all these positives that have happened to the farm economy, uh, there are negatives that could happen to turn this thing back around. So, you know, I think we we need to be uh, cautious. We need to be vigilant. Uh, and, and take advantage of these opportunities. Um, you know, manage your risk. Look at the forward markets are an opportunity to uh, start thinking about the 2021 crop and managing risk there. That's important. Yeah, that's a good point. You're, you've got an opportunity now, and it's what you make of it. Um, I always throw this question to, you know, keep you on your toes. Uh, what do you see for the dairy market <laughs> moving forward? <laughs> what, how, how's it going to be in 21, you think? I was drinking a glass of milk in anticipation of that question. Um, you know, <laughs> you know the, the big wild card, right? Um, and my phone's been ringing off the hook, you know, all day yesterday and all day today so far is uh, these food box programs. I mean, they're they're designed to do a good thing, get food to needy Americans, uh, address food waste. Uh, but the only item in that food box that's a, that has a spot market and a derivative market are the dairy sector. Uh, you saw class three today was limited up. Uh, we didn't even see a trade on class four. So now you're going to see these wide price disparities again uh, that have essentially created haves and have-nots uh, in the dairy industry this year. If you were going into a butter powder plant out in California, you saw a pretty low milk price. If you were going to a cheese plant in California, you probably had a milk price uh, in the neighborhood of $20, $25 a hundredweight. The class one guys have been hammered by the farm bill change, and they're going to continue to get hammered uh, because of these wide price spreads. So, you know, the food box program and the dairy donation program, that's nearly $2 billion of food donation coming into and touching the dairy sector. And, again, it's doing a good thing. It's getting food to people that need it. It's addressing food waste. Uh, but we've got to find a way to, to offset the damage it's doing to some of those dairy farmers that don't benefit from these higher cheese prices. Yep, that's a story to watch here in, in 21. So are you bullish? Uh, do you think this will be a bullish report next week? I think on the on the WASDE side, things I'm looking for, I'm looking at South American production. I'm looking at 
uh, U.S. corn uh, ending inventories. I'm looking at our soybean uh, ending stocks. You know, we came in at 175 last month. Uh, if we take a 55 million bushel haircut to ending stocks, Mike, we're going to be at the lowest stocks to use level that we've seen in more than two decades. So I think I think that January's report uh, can put some much needed gasoline on the bulls and, and we could see prices lift higher. And then we haven't even talked about this. If it stays dry through winter and into springtime as we get to planting time, that could add another uh, layer of concern that could uh, be bullish to prices. We've got a pretty significant drought across the western half of the United States, and you're exactly right. If this continues uh, into the next growing season, you know, we we find ourselves uh, in a situation where stocks are pretty tight. Uh, you know, they get much tighter than this. You start to to think about 2012 type of pricing environment. So, you know, we've had two years now with either a short crop or an average crop. Uh, so, again, all eyes are going to be on next year. And, and while those higher feed prices, higher grain prices, oil seed prices are good for the crop guys, uh, it makes it makes the livestock feeders, uh, their profitability gets squeezed a little bit. So uh, there's some give and take on all that too, Mike. That's right. Um so I'm going to ask you to wrap it up big picture. Do you see this? Is this the turn of the ag economy? Are we in for a better stretch now after several years of the down economy? Or is this just a, a brief uh, blip, a nice upturn, but it's not going to last long? Do you think this has some legs to it? You know, I, I, I certainly hope it does. I think that uh, just on the fundamentals, when you look at supplies, when you look at production, things are, are turning around. On the grain side, on the livestock side, we're, we're going to continue to see, uh, you know, a pretty competitive uh, production in the meat case. We're going to continue to see milk production uh, expand. So you need to see demand keep pace on the livestock side. Uh, but you know, this, you know, they they say this when I used to travel, and I haven't traveled in a long time. Uh, the cure for high prices is what, Mike? High prices. There we go. Yeah, you know, we heard that. They always said the cure for low prices are low prices, but they they stayed a long time, though. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in this low interest rate environment, you were able to continue. So, uh, but, but I think take advantage of the opportunities that are available now. That's important. That's important. All right, John, always good to talk with you. It'll be an interesting 21. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. We'll talk markets next. Get the thoughts of Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Sometimes life is wonderful. And sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. 
If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Andrew Bailey is the Science and Technology Council at the National Pork Producers Council. Andrew, we know that USDA and the Food and Drug Administration have been locked in a regulatory tug-of-war, you could say, when it comes to the authority on gene editing in livestock, and the Trump administration has signaled that they have an intention to make that oversight go to USDA. That's good news, isn't it? Definitely. You know, that's good news for, you know, uh, pork producers in this country and really all of animal agriculture you know this is really a a first step um, in the process of modernizing our uh, regulatory regime that governs uh, gene editing specifically you know modern new gene uh, genetic technologies in livestock and um, it's something we definitely welcome we're very supportive of usda's effort to essentially try and and bring uh, gene editing and and these sort of new genetic technologies on the livestock side in line with how they are um, on the crop side for the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're joined by Brian Schuweiler, who leads global grain trading at CHS, to talk about linking U.S. growers to buyers around the world. Brian, thanks for joining us. After a few years of turbulent global markets, what advantages do U.S. grain exports still offer to international buyers? I'd say the biggest things that we can offer to international buyers are consistency and reliability in their shipments. Many international customers buy hand to mouth because their cash flow needs are important to them. So by us hitting their shipment periods and loading them with consistent, good quality grain, that goes a long way in having them use us as preferred suppliers. What would you say are the biggest market growth areas for U.S. grain producers and and what are those buyers looking for? If I look at it from a regional perspective, certainly Asia in particular Southeast Asia, have countries that are developing and populations that are growing and their diets are changing. But another area that's growing as well is the Middle East. So countries like Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Turkey, and Algeria. But when you think about the future and with its ever-increasing population and growing food and seed industry, I like to think Africa is on the horizon for us as well. I think what they're looking for, basically a partner, someone that they can trust someone that they can get risk management advice for, helping them understand when it's time to buy, looking for good quality, consistent information from from their partners, and then looking for, in the future, more traceability abilities. People around the world, consumers in general, like to know where their food is coming from. And so the more 
that we can offer those types of things to our buyers. Again, they'll, they'll look at us more as a, their preferred supplier. That's Brian Sheweiler, who leads global grain trading at CHS. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, everybody talking about the hot markets. Let's talk it over with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Happy New Year, Matt, and uh, quite a start to, to the new year with the markets. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a, a wild run for sure. Uh, you know, these markets have just been incredible. Uh, there's no doubt that the March higher has been, you know, something that uh, a lot of us haven't seen real often, especially over the last six or seven years. Some real opportunities now for farmers, but some big decisions for them to make. Yeah, there's huge decisions to make. And so, you know, whenever you look and you see uh, November beans for next year at 1150 and beef corn uh, pushing 440 uh, for, for 21, I mean, that's just, uh, those are levels that we haven't been able to sell in advance in quite some time. And from a risk management perspective, it sure makes you wonder you know, just how aggressive to get. Uh, I understand that, you know, some of the price levels we're seeing in the cash market are significantly better than that, uh, but gee, many Christmas. It's uh, pretty tough for me, you know, to, to ignore those price levels, especially given the fact that we've come out of several years in a row of uh, pretty tough profit margins. Yeah, because, but you, you know the discussions, you've heard them, um, people saying, well, I already regret selling when I did because uh, now, even though it looked good at the time, it, it doesn't look as good now. But you have to you have to realize where we were, and uh, you like to say hey, you don't go broke making a profit, right? Yeah, you don't go broke making a profit, first of all. And second of all, a rally is not a rally unless you sell some, you know, I I've said that for many years because, you know, I mean, lots of times uh, we'll talk about a rally and what it means to us, but uh, it really doesn't mean anything to us unless we latch on to some of it. And so, you know, from a producer's perspective, we've been very, very slow in making sales, even on our old crop corn. Now, we were way too fast, I think, as far as soybeans were concerned, just to be fair about it. You know, but one thing we've done all along is we've tried to reown some of these you know, as we've gone up, just because we saw some serious potential. But at some point, you've got to say, you know what, I think that this is one heck of a situation. I think I'm pretty happy with it, and I'm going to go ahead and take profit and move on. And I think that we're we're uh, at some of those points right now. Now, it's up to the individual, uh, but the profit margins that you've got, you know, at 490-plus corn basis to board, especially with some of the basis overs that we're seeing in places, uh, boy, those are pretty tough levels to pass up. All right, next week's report, it's a big one. Do you see it adding uh, more fire to this hot market, or do you see it cooling things off a bit? Well, you got to ask yourself, you know, uh, what's going on in the market right now? And the market's anticipating that this is going to be an extremely uh, uh, friendly report, you know, and that's the reason it is a futures market. That's the reason why you're seeing these huge run-ups in prices. And so uh, you, whenever you come into a report like this, uh, one thing you got to remember is that you need a, a report that's probably even more bullish, you know, than what the market's expecting. I mean, because if you don't get it, 
boy, it's pretty tough to sit here and think that, uh, uh, you know, that you're going to go ahead and march higher. So we got to be cautious as to assume too much going into this report. I'm, I'm going to be, uh, you know, uh, taking some risk off the table as we go into it because I think that uh, these price levels we're seeing right now are a major gift. Yeah, because now you're dealing with expectations, right? Are people expecting it uh, to be more supportive? And as you said, if it's not as much as people expected, then they look at it like it's, uh, uh, you know, more bearish. So that could have that reaction. Absolutely. Could have that reaction. And, you know, uh, you could see uh, what you would call a friendly report, at least base, uh, basis last report, you know. So versus the December and November reports, you, you know, it could be bullish versus that, but at the same time, it might not be bullish enough for the trade, and you might close the data down the limit. And so, you know, I've seen it happen before, and uh, we certainly have to be prepared for that as producers because, you know, uh, this bird in the hand is definitely better than the two in the bush in, in, in this situation, I guess, uh, the way that I'm looking at it. Always a big challenge to manage expectations. Uh, all right, so here's the question I've been, I'm, I'm kind of trying to get a handle on now because – all this came kind of out of the blue. We didn't really see it coming, and now we've got right. it. Is this is this now the trend? Uh, you know, a more positive, stronger trend. Maybe not at these levels, but still, uh, you know, better than we've seen the last few years for the ag economy. Are we now going to see the markets in this kind of a, a higher range, or is this just a momentary blip that we should enjoy, but it's not going to stick around? Well, you know, I don't know that it's a momentary blip that's not going to stick around. I guess my 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 opinion on this is that uh, you know this market certainly could could stay around for a while. I mean, you're looking at very tight situation here in the U.S. I mean, a lot of folks think that the true bean carryouts below 100 at this stage. Uh, the corn carryout probably in that 1.5 range. There's plus or minus depending on who you talk to. But you know, there's a lot of big questions moving forward. Is the USDA going to have to cut production from last fall if they do? You know, Katie bar the door on what that might mean for us moving forward. But, uh, you know, at the same time, Brazil's ramped up, and uh, you better believe they're going to plant every acre they can find in that second crop. And, uh, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how their weather plays out. I know they've been dry, you know, at times, but they're getting enough rain right now to get by. And so you got to think they're going to come to the table with a pretty big crop. Yeah, I keep referring to this. It seems strange this time of year, but it's a weather market is uh, in in large part, isn't it, Matt? I mean, their weather in South America and and weather concerns growing here about it being dry. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a weather market. It it, it kind of feels like uh, you know going into U.S. pollination. I mean, it's it's just mm-hmm. a really incredible market that we're dealing with right now. Yeah, and we and we keep watching these stocks numbers because it was the stocks number, especially in beans, that was holding prices down, and now all of a sudden it's the stocks number that's helping push it up. No, no question about it. But you know, just in one year's time frame, I mean, last year in the January report, USDA was talking for this marketing year, you know, around a billion bushel carryover, and so mm-hmm. you know, now you're looking at a sub 100. I mean, how, my mind had to. How the tables have turned, but uh, it's something that uh, is one of the more dynamic situations we've seen in a long time. Yeah, incredible swings, that's for sure. Well, Matt, we'll talk again next week after the report. Thanks a lot. Yep, thank you. Take care. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Tomorrow, we'll talk uh, with folks with the National Rural Health Association about handling the COVID uh, spike and also vaccinations and we'll talk u.s china relations too hope you'll join us right here on aoa stay safe everyone
Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.